What if I were to give you a pop quiz on the Christmas story? Not the Christmas story that we hear about and watch on TV, but from the scriptures. What if I were to ask you questions like, how many wise men were there? What would you answer? Don't say it out loud. You might make a fool of yourself. (laughs) Um, True or false, the day Christ was born, there was a special star above the manger he was born in. How would you answer? Um, What was the name of the innkeeper? Um, What animal did Mary ride into Bethlehem when she was getting ready to give birth? Huh. Some of you might be very anxious right now. All that means, you just need to go home and read your Bibles. Go read Luke 2, and you'll figure out what's there. But I ask you those questions because we come to the Christmas story. Um, we, we come to following Jesus and reading the scriptures and being his disciples with a lot of assumptions. We're in a series called Honest Christmas. And last week, Pastor Danner, um, very just in his upbeat way, asked, honestly, who cares? Who cares about the incarnation of Christ? How many of you, while you were buying junk on Amazon and cooking cookies to give to your grandchildren this week, were going like, how does the incarnation of the triune God affect my here and now? Most of you probably weren't thinking that. But he helped us see last week that the incarnation, we care because Christ has come to be with us. He has taken the abstractness of God and put it in flesh and bone. And now through the Spirit has empowered you and I to follow him faithfully, especially in this time of Advent. And this morning we're looking at, we're being honest about our assumptions. Our assumptions with the Christmas story, our assumptions about God, our assumptions about other humans, the assumptions we have about ourselves before God and other humans. And to do that, we're going to look at um, the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. If you're not familiar with them, Pastor Danner last week introduced us to John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, who is Jesus' cousin. And actually, his mother and father were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we read this in the beginning of... All the technical stuff is broken this morning. All right, can I get the slides? Thank you. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in Years. Now, there's two things I want us to take from this story. The first one being Luke described Zechariah and Elizabeth as righteous and blameless and all following all the commandments of the Lord. We can read that and like, I'm like, yeah, it's in the Bible. They're righteous and blameless. But this is intentional language that Luke is using that he only uses to describe two other figures in his gospel account. But in the Old Testament, Blameless and righteous, those words were used to describe a host of biblical figures such as uh, Job and Noah and Abraham and King David. And if you read those men's lives, their biographies, they were anything but blameless and righteous. They had very human, very messy lives. But the scriptures, the writers of scriptures were using them to be a signpost pointing to the only truly blameless and righteous human who would be the Christ. 
Luke is using this language to tie the Old Testament to what would become the New Testament. John the prophet, who is in Elizabeth's womb, is the last of the Old Testament prophets pointing to the one God's people have been longing and waiting for, for generations. The other thing we learned from this is that Elizabeth and Zechariah were old, really old. So old that there was no hope of her having a child. Now, our assumption as modern Westerners with modern medicine is like, oh, if that was happening today, we uh, could probably use some medicine to help with that problem. And that's still an issue many, many families still struggle with, is not being able to have a child. But the assumption in that day was very different. Not being able to conceive and have a child was actually a sign that God had forsaken you, that you are cursed, that you may have done something to upset God so much that he will not bless you with a child. But yet, these two figures, Elizabeth and Zechariah, her husband Zechariah actually being a priest and she being from the priestly line, isn't described as that. So what is going on here? If you continue to read the story that an angel comes to Zechariah, he's away from home, he's on a business trip, he's doing his priestly duties, sacrifices and all that stuff, and an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, pay attention over here. Elizabeth's going to be with child. You guys are going to have a baby, and you can go read it. And it has big, just a scripture point, like this is going to be the, the one point of the Messiah, this is going to be a miracle, she shouldn't have a baby, but she's, you guys are going to lay together and conceive. And Zechariah is leaning on his assumptions, like, we're old, angel. We don't, we, no, it's, that ship has sailed for us. Because of his disbelief from his false assumptions about what God can do, he's silenced till the time his son is born. He goes home, he, remember, he can't speak, so he can't, he was trying to, in, at the temple, he's like trying to sign, like, angel, baby, like, they're like, oh, okay, he's lost it, he needs to go home, he gets home from his, uh, from his business trip, and as spouses should, after being away from child, they do what they do, and ta-da, she has a baby, and there you go, or she gets, she becomes pregnant, and, and, and we read this next, after these days, go ahead, after these days, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden. Keep that in your mind. She kept herself hidden for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now that word reproach, you can see in other translations, translated as shame. Remember, in her context, the assumption was, if you have a baby, you are shameful. You have done something to deserve this. And I can't help but wonder and think, sitting in Elizabeth's shoes, even though she's from a priestly line and she is described as righteous and blameless, if the people's assumptions, the religious leaders of the day, her faith community, the assumptions that she was a sinner of some sort, had to begin to shape the assumptions she had about herself. Take away the pain of not being able to, to conceive, but then heap on top of that blame and shame decade after decade after decade. How did she start to view herself? How did she start to view this God that her husband had committed his life to serve? Maybe she started to believe maybe there was something broken in her. Maybe she should deserve, she did actually deserve this because of something she has not confessed or repented of. 
we often forget or don't even realize the assumptions we bring to people's outer context and how our assumptions are projected onto them and they take those on and they become assumptions about themselves. What we assume about other people carries great, great weight. Are we much different, though, than the religious leaders, the religious community of the time? This week, I was, uh, as I was preparing this message, Pastor Danner and I were meeting someone in uh, downtown Austin. And I live down in Kyle, and I come up here, and I don't spend too much time in the heart of Austin. And I moved down here about eight months ago from Dallas. And uh, one thing I've noticed about downtown Austin, there's a lot more visible homeless communities than there are in Dallas. And as I drive around, if I'm honest about my assumptions, as I see on all the islands, just I see lots of young men walking up and down, up and down. It's easy to think, like, just go get a job, man. You see an older, disheveled man on the side of the road, and it's easy to think, I'm not going to give him a dollar. He doesn't really need food. He just needs another hit. And they bring these assumptions and place them on them without even knowing the story of their lives. And this week I saw a video on, uh, on one of the social networks out there. And, and it was this beautiful video. And I tried to find it, but th- I couldn't find the specific. But there were tons about that kind of followed the storyline. But I believe it was taking place in England, somewhere in the UK. And this uh, young man, he's, he, he, you can tell he's not actually homeless. And, but he's kind of disheveled. And he's walking up and down this busy city streets. And he's asking very politely to people, excuse me, ma'am, do you have a few dollars? I'm hungry. I'm, I need something to eat. People just ignore, person after person. He finally goes over to, to an older gentleman sitting on the side of the road who was, um, who was he, he looked like he was definitely homeless. He had, no, he had his bag and unkept beard, and um, just you could tell that he was um, of, of that state of life. And this young man, he goes up to the homeless man and says, Excuse me, sir, can I have a few dollars? I need something to eat. You're sitting, watch this video, and what's going on? Okay. And you see this old man rummage through his stuff and hands him a couple dollars. And you're sitting there going, cool, okay. And my assumptions are starting to get shaken up. And then, and then the young man goes, no, actually, I want to bless you, sir. And hands him, it's, it's in Europe or in the UK, so he hands him 100 pounds. And I go, oh, wow, okay. Gives it to the man. And the man starts crying, and the camera kind of follows him, and he goes in the grocery store. I'm like, see? He's going to get groceries. He actually needed it. That right there would have been good enough. And he comes out with bags full of groceries, and he starts walking around the city, handing these bags of groceries to other homeless people, taking care of the community that he's a part of that's been assumed to be worthless and outcasts. I was pleasantly surprised that my assumptions were wrong. But this morning, are we honest about the assumptions we have? I want to say some things, and they might be hard for you to hear. They might make you get angry or uncomfortable. I wish I could see your faces so I could read the room. But if these things make you uncomfortable, maybe it's because you're holding on to a wrong assumption that God's trying to challenge Do you assume that everyone who votes differently than you is a moron? (laughs) Do you assume that every person trying to get into our country is a criminal? Do you assume that every scared, 
pregnant teenage girl knocking on the doors of Planned Parenthood is a monster and deserves to be cursed by God and his people? Fill in your assumption. Now, I'm not saying that those issues aren't complex and nuanced and we have to discern. But as followers of Jesus, shame on us if our first assumption is to see the worst in people. Because every human is made in the image of God. And we are to treat them with dignity and respect and serve and love them no matter what their outer circumstances may say to us. Because our assumptions are normally self-fulfilling prophecies. What we assume about people we often make true. Holidays are coming up, Christmas. Maybe you have that weird uncle that's going to show up. And you're like, I have a weird uncle. You might be the weird uncle. Um, and, and, and you just know that this is the uncle that brings up all the uncomfortable things to talk about. So I'm just going to ghost him and not pay attention to him. And, and before he's even opened his mouth, you've already written him off. Maybe he just needs love and someone to listen to him. Are your assumptions just self-fulfilling prophecies? In the next passage, we meet Mary, the mother of the Christ, that we can see this beautiful miracle that God happens. But in her context, she was a teenage girl who claimed to be a virgin and had a baby in her womb. (laughs) Talk about assumptions around her. We read this, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And as she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among the women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In their time, it would have been easy, and even for us, to see these two women and just assume that they are just foolish for believing these things. That in, in this picture of these two women embracing one another, that Luke is actually painting this picture of the Old Testament in John and Elizabeth's womb and Mary with Je- Jesus in her womb, these two coming and meeting each other and something is about to change for humanity. That John is going to point to his cousin and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Christ there will say, I have come to fulfill all the law and the prophets. Everything our people have been longing for for generations is here now. And these two women, as they embraced one another, didn't believe the assumptions that the culture had placed on them. They chose to believe the promises that God had spoke to them through angels. That they clung to the very promises of God. What about you and I? You and me, do we 
cling to the assumptions of this world, thinking that the brokenness all around us is all that there really is? Or do we assume, do we, do we hold on to what we know what is true about God? Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, he writes this. <clears throat> Go to the Romans passage, please. In the Romans passage, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may read that. You may be going, Amen. Or you may be going, Amen, but the cancer diagnosis still came. The spouse still left. The child still hasn't returned to the faith. What do we do? If those are the promises of God, but we don't see them yet, what do we do? Remember, Elizabeth hid her pregnancy for five months. Even in our day, like, you don't tell the whole world really before that first trimester, but you don't hide yourself for five months. Zechariah's mouth is shut for over nine months. You read the Gospels, Jesus heals people miraculously and says, shh, don't. And they go, okay, guess what, mom? Like, it doesn't ever go well, right? We, and as we read the scriptures, the Old Testament, in that Romans passage, they're quoting the Psalms, and the Psalms are filled with prayers of, how long, God, where are you? Do you hear me? Why have you forsaken me? As followers of God, we are people marked by waiting. As followers of God, we often worship a God who feels silent and far off. And we begin to assume that he's not really there. We begin to assume that the brokenness in this world is all there really is. But that's why I love this season of Advent. Because we... We remember Christ's first coming and we look forward to his second coming and it gives us an opportunity to be honest about the brokenness around us. But for those of us who follow Jesus, we know how the story ends. Because Christ has died and has risen, he is coming again to make all things new and we wait knowing that the assumption of this is all there is isn't true because of the power of the resurrection. But that doesn't just give us permission to just sit around and just wait for the world to burn. It actually inspires us, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that this is a dress rehearsal for what is to come. That we lay down the false assumptions of the people, the brokenness around us and ourselves and cling to the promises of God that he is good and that he is faithful and he has promised to make all things new and he will. And one day every name, every tribe, tongue will confess that he is Lord. Thanks be to Jesus' resurrection. But till then we wait with hope and expectation. Come thou long expected Jesus. So as we wrap up, I invite you to put your hands out and make a fist if you're able in each hand. Like as hard as you can, like to the point where it's uncomfortable. 
And may this represent the assumptions we hold on to so tightly about God, about the people that look and live differently than us. Now open them. And may this be our posture this Advent season, releasing the assumptions we have about others and about God and asking God to fill our hearts and minds with the scriptures and what is true and good and beautiful. And now do this. Put your hands out that you may be a blessing. That in this Advent season, you are to go bless in the name of Jesus in thought, word, and deed. That is your, your call from the Lord himself to assume the best in people because they are created in his image and his son died for them just like Jesus died for you. And he may be using you to invite them into his family. So God, bless our church. Bless your people And may we assume, not assume, Lord, but know and believe and trust that you are coming to make all all things new, but till then empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be light and love in a world that is craving it. In Jesus' name, amen.